How do you live a life in constant fear of everything around you? What happens when you're oppressed, but there's no hope for change? Why would a country pride itself with instilling fear amongst its citizens? Berlin was a city divided, a city that once exemplified the spirit of Europe and its future, a city that was a North Star to the world. That is, until World War II brought the city to its knees as the cracks were starting to show through the Nazi regime. The end of the war tore Berlin apart as the Allies bombed the city, and soon after, the Soviet Union marched in to end the war. Europe was free at last, but what was left for poor Germany? Better yet, its once shining capital. Unfortunately, oppression didn't stop after the free world was saved from the Nazis. As Germany was divided by the Allies after the war, the Soviet Union's territory was soon developed into its own communist state. One that can be more accurately described as a dictatorship driven by fear. Today we will discuss the tactics that East Germany employed to rain psychological terror upon its inhabitants and the organization mostly responsible for just that, the Stasi. I'm Sean Dispenza, alongside me is Jimmy Randazza and Micah Harden, and you're listening to Treptow Kopenick's presentation of the Stasi, Fear From Within. How have the methods of intelligence gathering allowed the Stasi to hold influence over the citizens of East Berlin and abroad during the post-war period? In order to better understand who the Stasi were, you must first understand the details surrounding their creation as an intelligence network. East Germany, or the German Democratic Republic, also known as the GDR, was a Soviet-style country established in 1949. The region included in this new country was the portion of Germany under the Soviet Union's control after Germany was split up into four sections by the Allies after World War II. The Ministry for State Security, or the MFS, better known as the Stasi, was expanding throughout the years of East Germany's existence as a separate country from West Germany. The Stasi gained their intelligence training from its bigger brother, the Committee for State Security, more commonly known as the KGB. The KGB was based in Moscow in the heart of the Soviet Union and was a vast intelligence network that kept tabs on its capitalist enemies across the globe. The Stasi worked with the KGB on many instances throughout the divided Berlin era in order to keep tabs on East German citizens suspected of insurrection against the communists. It's hard to imagine living in the same environment that East Germans did back in the mid to late 20th century because there's very few organizations today across the world that had the sheer might that the Stasi had. In 1989, the estimated number of full-time employees working for the Ministry for State Security was about 90,000. This is a large number to grasp in respect to current day size of intelligence organizations, but then again, intelligence organizations don't always play by the rules. The true number of intelligence agents in any organization may never truly be known. Interestingly enough, in 1989, the Stasi also reportedly had at least 100,000 other unofficial colleagues. These people were almost certainly believed to be the undercover agents that the public feared so much as they could never truly escape the eyes and ears of the communist government. An organization of that size surely had the means to control the morale of a whole country, 
Yet that isn't even painting the whole picture of the Stasi throughout their existence. As Mary Sorot quoted from her book, The Collapse, over the lifetime of East Germany, a country of only 17 million people, something on the order of a quarter million people had served as full-time Stasi staff. It's possible that another 600,000 served as informants at some point. By one estimate, there is one full-time secret police officer for every 180 citizens. By contrast, in the Soviet Union, that number was roughly 1 to 600 citizens. In Czechoslovakia, 1 to about 900. And in Poland, 1 to 1,500. Berlin was of the most interest to the Stasi because the citizens knew the economic struggles that East Germany faced. With East Berlin being so close to West Berlin, on the other side of the wall, the East German government knew that the democratic West had the influence on the communist East. West Berlin was completely surrounded by East German territory, so it was truly the only form of democracy in the region. The Stasi used this as their means to gain intelligence on the moves of the Federal Republic of Germany, or FRG, and West Berlin in particular. One of their main concerns was a secret planning of escape by the East Germans into a free West Berlin. Eric Honecker was the new leader of the East German Communist Party, or the SED, in 1971. He sought out harsher political policies in East Germany, and East Berlin most prolifically. His most detrimental policy was called decomposition. This referred to the idea of instilling fear in the eyes of the public, but not in a physical sense. Honecker wanted the citizens of East Germany to never feel like their life is private and independent, and to feel the burden of always being watched. This would help ensure that the citizens would be compliant to state operations and help ensure the future of East Germany. Now picture yourself as one of the parents of a young adult living in East Germany in the late 20th century. Imagine the strife that you could possibly be put through if your child had the idea of escaping into West Berlin against the full might of the East German Border Patrol. These guards had fully authorized shoot-to-kill orders for any attempted escapee. Better yet, let me tell you the story of the woman who experienced exactly that. Her name is Karen Jeffroy, and her son was Chris Jeffroy. Chris decided in 1989 to try to escape to East Berlin over the Berlin Wall because he had heard rumors that the shootings at the wall had stopped. He attempted escape with a friend on February 5, 1989, without telling his mother. Border guards shot at both men and injured Chris's friend who was then taken into custody. Chris Jeffroy was shot through the heart and killed at the border. His death marked the last person to be shot and killed while trying to escape into West Berlin. The tragedy didn't end with Chris's death. Once his mother Karen heard news of what had happened from the Stasi officials, she was utterly motionless. Soon after Chris's death, the Stasi still demonstrated their influence over everyday life. As Mary Sorot said in The Collapse, over Karen's objections, the body of her son was cremated and she received an invoice for the cost. She was allowed to hold a memorial service, but the Stasi insisted on making all the arrangements, including the choice of flowers and then send her another invoice. My guests and I here today will be sure to inform you, our keen audience, about the truly heinous and maniacal acts carried out by the Stasi and their informants in greater detail. Thank you, Sean. Welcome back, everybody. My name is James Randazza, and luckily, we have found two transcripts from court trials both from December 1953. A lot of people 
do not know the true founding of the Stasi organization. So I'm glad we were able to provide some insight towards the foundation and what the Stasi truly was. I found it crazy just how much influence the Stasi seemed to have during this time period. These two trials are very shocking and depict events that occurred in and outside of Berlin to serve as an element of the dangerousness of the Stasi, but nonetheless, let us dive into these trials. The first trial that I will be sharing with you is from December 18, 1953, known as the Gellin trial. This trial consisted of multiple defendants, but we will be focusing specifically on a man named Hans Joachim Geyer, who acted as a witness testifying against these defendants. Let us begin with some backstory of this individual. Joachim was an author of many spy novels, which is pretty ironic because spying was so relevant during this time. He lived in a town named Falkensee with his family before being recruited as a quote-unquote worker for the Gellin Organization of West Berlin. This Gellin Organization was a face for an undercover spy ring that was responsible for gathering intelligence on the Stasi and other aspects of East Berlin. However, recruiting Joachim is where they created a major slip-up. You see, Joachim was recruited to gather information about the GDR and their secret informants. But what the Gellin organization failed to realize is that Joachim was loyal to the GDR. This double play allowed Joachim to hand secretive documents over to the GDR and assist them in uncovering the Gellin organization's underground operation, which led to this trial. After Joachim's time spent at Gellin, he was withdrawn from West Berlin just before the numerous arrests of Gellin informants occurred and would later reappear in court. Joachim expressed his concerns in court as part of his testimony, and he even mentioned that American agencies such as the CIA and CIC, Counterintelligence Corps, were also responsible for the Gellin organization's creation. I find this occurrence very, very indicative of the true power that the Stasi held during this time. They were able to unmask an entire operation due to their vast outreach and population of informants. This was a huge step backwards for West Berlin because now the Stasi knew that there were organizations trying to gather intelligence on them, and this would only infuriate them. This provoked anger was not something that would benefit anybody because, as we know, the Stasi was so powerful but hid the true amount of sheer power that they held. This brings us to the second court trial that took place December 24, 1953. This was no ordinary trial, mainly because it was a private hearing regarding a man under the alias Richard Fiolka and higher-ups in the Ministry of State Security of East Berlin. I found an oath that informants must recite and sign before becoming a spy. In Richard's read, I, Richard Fiolka, hereby undertake to work for the State Secretariat for State Security. As a member of the Socialist Unity Party of Germany, I am aware that I will use all my energy to carry out the work assigned to me to satisfaction. Furthermore, I undertake to keep the strictest confidentiality about my work. I know that if I do not keep my obligation to remain silent, I will be punished according to the laws of the German Democratic Republic. 
I will sign my reports, which I hand over to the State Secretariat for State Security with code name Richard. Signed Richard Fiolka, December 23, 1953. He worked for the Stasi from 1953 all the way to 1969, in which he gathered information on over 5,000 people in the town of Erfurt. I did some research on Erfurt and realized that this town is three and a half hours away from Berlin if you travel by motor vehicle. I was trying to find the relevance of Erfurt in Berlin other than the fact that Erfurt was part of socialist Germany, but I could not come up with anything significant. However, Richard's task of acquiring information on 5,000 people in a town that was almost four hours away from Berlin just shows how much power the Stasi wanted over all citizens. They had documents on people virtually everywhere, and if agents were caught gathering this information, they knew that opening their mouth about the Stasi would result in punishment worse than death. Richard ended his time working for the Stasi in 1969 after serving his duties. Richard was able to obtain information on over 5,000 people as a single man that the Stasi had recruited. But the question now is if a single man can do this, what can their organization as a whole perform? Now that we have the two court trials all wrapped up, I would like to focus on how these two trials are great examples of Stasi influence and power. If you are familiar with the Tunnel 29 podcast regarding East and West Berlin, then you will have realized the Stasi influence in Berlin itself However, the court trials here illuminate the vast outreach that Stasi informants and spies had on East Germany and even West Germany as a whole. I think that we can all agree here that the supreme outreach is the main reason that the Stasi were so feared and was the factor that allowed them to obtain so much power. I'll now be handing the spotlight over to my friend Mika Harden to expand your knowledge on Stasi influence and outreach. Thanks, Jimmy. Hi, I'm Micah, here to talk about how the East Germans control the population through fear. East Germany had the largest intelligence gathering agency in the world relative to its size. There was a point in East Germany where the official members of the GDR's foreign intelligence gathering agency numbered around 10,000 people not including citizen informants that worked for them. The only other agencies in the world with comparable manpower were the CIA and KGB, but these organizations also belonged to countries with over 200 million people in them, while East Germany only had about 16.5 million. Even in West Germany, the Stasi controlled more than 3,000 informants. The amount of people willing to work with and for the Stasi is incredibly terrifying. If the CIA or KGB had around the same percentage of, of official intelligence gatherers, then they would have over 120,000 people working for them. To put that in perspective, that would be equivalent to about every seventh person in the city of Jacksonville, Florida being a member of the CIA. With that many people working for an intelligence gathering agency in a dictatorship, people could not talk badly about the government for fear of being arrested. Citizens could not trust each other, they could only trust themselves and maybe their families. In later years, the Stasi were even able to tap into phone lines and figure out what people were saying. Citizens were not even safe when they were alone and talking with uh, someone over the phone. West Germany especially was not safe. 
The East was able to tap into almost all of their phones. They could even tell when call activity picked up with certain people and listen into what they were saying. The East was even able to get some of their spies into the center of West German government. Some of the East spies were caught, but most went a long time without being found, even those that were in high positions of power. An example of this is Colonel Joachim Kross, who started working for the Stasi in 1973 and was not found out until he died in 1988. Colonel Krause was a high-ranking man in the West German military, and he was not found out until after he died. It's kind of terrifying. Imagine if one of the highest up men in the army died and it was discovered that they had been spying on the United States for North Korea for the past 15 years. Very sobering. In 1958, West Germany's own intelligence division came under the control of the East Germany Stasi. There were some spies who ended up being double agents and still worked for West Germany, but for the most part, the West German Defense Ministry's intelligence service was treated like just another branch of the Stasi. If the Stasi had that much control over a country they weren't even a part of, makes you think about how much they control the citizens of East Germany. The citizens in the East must have lived their lives in so much fear, probably similar to just a few years before when they were under the Nazi SS. Citizens would probably have been too scared to do anything against their country without being feared, without fear of being caught by the Stasi and either tortured or imprisoned for disagreeing with their government. As we heard in the Tunnel 29 podcast, Citizens of East Germany were liable to be abducted at any point if there was even a suspicion of them not being completely loyal. We also heard how people could not tell if a person was a spy or not and would just kind of have to guess. These people were so jumpy that they were ready to kill an innocent man in front of his family just because they thought he was Stasi without any proof. The people were completely controlled through fear of their government and fear for others they know. The Stasi gathered many informants from everywhere in order to have information on everyone. They wanted to know everything that could be used against a person. The Stasi would gain informants through many methods, including kidnapping, physical torture, psychological torture, and blackmail. They didn't just do this in East Germany either. They also spread into a little bit of West Germany, a country they were supposed to have no control in, still managed to scare enough people to, into their fold. People would say that the imperialists were not safe, and that it didn't matter if they were in West Germany, East Germany, or Washington, D.C. The Stasi control reached so far it even threatened into America. These acts by the Stasi did not start off as legal, but in the 1950s, East Germany made them legal. The Stasi targeted former soldiers, former Nazis, former Hitler youth, former Nazi activists, criminals, and homosexuals. The Stasi targeted them because they were deemed to be at high risk of resisting communist sentiments. There was a protest and revolt by East German citizens. The Stasi responded by allowing the Soviet soldiers to fight the people who were revolting. However, the next day, the Stasi started to arrest everyone that was involved. Within the next two days, nearly 2,000 people were arrested in East Germany for being a part of the protests. Within a week, over 6,000 people were arrested and prosecuted. The sentencing was so harsh, harsh on some of these protesters that even the Minister of Justice said it was t uh, they were illegal. This resulted in the Minister of Justice himself being arrested and charged with being an enemy of the state. Even some of the highest ranking government officials were not safe from them. The Stasi controlled everything in East Germany. It controlled what people were in power. If someone disagreed with what they did or seemed like they weren't communist enough, then they would get arrested and tried with treason. The Stasi also did not actually know that this protest was planned by the citizens. This caused them to realize that their network of informants was not big enough, so they started to find better quality informants. 
such as people in high economic and administrative positions. The Stasi focused on securing East Germany and cracking down on dissenters. It was at this point in time where the Stasi were modeled to be more closely related to the KGB of the Soviet Union. KGB scared people all across America, and the Stasi were made to be equally the equally brutal younger brother to them. The Stasi terrified the people of East Germany. They had information on every citizen and were not afraid to use it to blackmail or torture Germans. Nobody was safe from their wrath and all East Germans needed to fall in line with the government or they'd suffer the consequences. The Stasi influence was something that could not be damaged nor broken. They had control over many different sectors of East and West Berlin and many different areas branching across Germany. This influence and secrecy allowed them to become one of the most powerful organizations in Germany. They established fear in the everyday actions of Germans, and it was because of this that the Stasi solidified its control over so many years. We'd like to thank you here at Treptow Kopenick for tuning in today to our podcast. We hope that we've given you guys information on the Stasi to inform you about the dark history of Germany's past and communism rooted in, in Europe. Thank you.